Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, for your grace, for your goodness, for your mercy. Yes, indeed, our hearts are prone to wonder. Uh, our, our hearts are prone to leave the God that we love. And this morning, Jesus, we come to you just humbled, humbly, uh, seeking your face, seeking that you may speak to us. You may just counsel us from your word, O oh God. Um, and uh, may you receive the glory and the honor from our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. Um, for those who do not know my name, my name is uh, Peter Gatata. I'm one of the uh, members of our church here, church family here. Uh, thank you for uh, coming to worship uh, this morning. Um, we continue in our series uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And my message this morning has an air of caution or warning. And I just want you to receive it uh, as, as it's coming from the Lord himself, a good shepherd, just guiding our hearts and, and helping us to guard ourselves from, from unbelief. So that's how I've titled this message. It's, it's a warning against unbelief. And uh, a true story is told about uh, um, you know, the 18th century when the explorers went first to Australia they encountered the dark-billed platypus. The platypus has fur over its entire body, it's the size of a rabbit, and has webbed feet, but it also lays eggs, has a flat tail and a bill similar to a duck. When the skin of a platypus was first brought to Europe, it was greeted with complete amazement. Was it a mammal or a reptile? But despite the physical evidence of the skin and the testimony of the witnesses, many Londoners dismissed it as a sham. It's not until a pregnant platypus was shot and brought to London for observers to see with their own eyes did the people begin to believe. Until this happened, some of the greatest thinkers refused to accept the existence of the platypus. You know, the initial problem was that it did not fit their view of how the world operated. So they rejected it and reached a verdict despite the weight of evidence. You see, many people refuse to believe that which they don't want to believe in spite of the evidence. And, and for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, sometimes we choose what to believe from the Bible and what not to believe. And uh, I, I read uh, a passage in Hebrews that kind of gives us caution. The author of Hebrews writing to Jewish believers, he warned them and said that be on your guard, watch out so that there won't be any of you with an evil or unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Yes, it is possible for believers for those who have trusted Christ to drift away from the truth. And in today's passage, we are going to see Jesus rebuke a group of Jewish people who had every opportunity to believe despite the evidence they had. But they failed to listen and failed to repent. 
And Jesus is going to issue a warning or a caution to us as well. Everybody with a heart. That we examine ourselves to make sure that we are not growing cold or calloused towards the truth of Scripture. Father, this morning as we dive into your word, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive it. Your word is life and your word is real food. And I pray this morning that you will feed us with the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verse 27 to 36, this is where we find our passage. Uh, for some reason, I end up getting some harder passages than the Jeff. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> he gets to assign. One day when I get to do the role of assigning, I'll assign him a hard passage. But we find this passage, this message also from Matthew and Mark, the Synoptic Gospels. And I love it because uh, when you see the same account collaborated in three, in three pieces of literature, then it surely is, is, is trustworthy. So I'll go between Matthew, Mark, and Luke just to relay the message of our passage. And just to establish a bit of a context for those of you who probably haven't been in the gospel of Luke recently, the events of this passage happen towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth. You know, he spent the last couple of years traversing through different neighborhoods and regions of Israel proclaiming the word of God. But the time has come where he must go to the city of his death, Jerusalem. And Luke 9, 51 says that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. His mind was ready. His heart was ready. He knew what was, wait, was waiting for him in Jerusalem. But as he proceeded towards this last journey, he kept on preaching and proclaiming the word and calling the people to repent, calling the people to believe. And this is where we pick up our story. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you are blessed. He said, even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. Look, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, 
with no part of it in darkness. The whole body will be full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. There's a lot to unpack in this passage, so let's get to it. The first thing we'll see in our passage is the promise of blessing for faith and obedience. And our passage begins with the story of a woman who was among those listening to Jesus in the crowd. You know, she was overcome with great emotion that spontaneously, not caring who saw her, who heard her, you know, she raised her voice and blessed, blessed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not God. She did not praise God. She did not praise Jesus. But she praised Mary. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And there is nothing wrong with what she said. After all, she was a mom and probably doting on Jesus, whom she perceived had been raised well. However, Jesus used this occasion to build on that admiration and redirect it to what was greater and more important. Yes, Mary was indeed blessed, and she herself knew it. Among all the women on the planet, she was the only one chosen by God to be Jesus' mom. That's being blessed. And Jesus knew it. But his response to her, and everyone seated at that crowd said, even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. And Jesus took this moment to elevate God's word as the source of all true blessings. And everyone and every, everyone and anywhere has the opportunity to tap into this blessing. And at some point, Jesus even rejected the notion that those who were related to him physically were his real family. No, his real family were those who kept and obeyed his word. It pleases God and honors him when we not only hear his word, but we believe it enough to practice it. And in those days, in the time of Jesus, the people listening to Jesus, the way the word of God came to them was through the writings of the Old Testament, but also the very words that Jesus spoke were the word of God. He is the Logos. And everything we read in our Bibles, especially the New Testament, not especially the whole Bible, but mostly in the New Testament, we see the actual words and statements that are made by Jesus. So these people listening to Jesus, this generation must have been so blessed to hear the word of God directly from the mouth of God. Or were they? The Bible continues to say that as the crowds were pressing into Jesus, he responded to a request or a demand that had been made to him earlier by some people in the crowd. If you go back to the beginning of this chapter, and I think Pastor Jeff preached on it, after Jesus had miraculously, supernaturally, and easily healed a mute person, two groups of people challenged him. One group challenged Jesus and said, well, haha, you just performed that miracle by the power of Satan. And Jesus spends the rest of that section in chapter 11 to, to respond to them. But then there is another group of Pharisees and scribes. They looked at the miracles and they said, that's not enough, Jesus. 
We want a spectacular miracle. Actually, we want something greater than that. We want something from heaven, a miraculous sign from heaven. That's what they were demanding. Despite all they had witnessed. You know, Jesus knew these religious leaders' intentions and motives. He knew their intentions were bad. It's just like a heckler. Have you ever been to a meeting and there's a heckler in the meeting? All they want to do is interrupt the meeting. And these Pharisees and the scribes, that was kind of what they did. Every time Jesus showed up to teach about the kingdom of God, they would just heckle at him. And they would challenge him. They would argue with him. It was exhausting for Jesus. And I like what the Mark, Mark's gospel, it captures vividly how Jesus felt. For the Bible says, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. That was exhausting. But I looked up this word in the Greek, and it's, it's the kind of sign that you make when you're groaning or grieving. And he looked at them, and he grieved over them. He grieved over their lack of faith and belief. They had everything. They had the word of God. They had the signs and the miracles. So Jesus, he just sighed deeply in his spirit. And Jesus is going to reveal something here to them. Their persistence in unbelief will reveal something that we all have experience with. It's going to reveal the presence of sin in their hearts. According to Jesus, number one, their demand for a sign, that's a sign in itself of their own wickedness. They were not really interested in a sign or a miracle from heaven. You know, nothing could have moved the needle of their faith towards belief. Nothing. Even if someone came back from the dead, they would not have believed it. Their hearts were cold. Their hearts were hardened towards the truth. And so Jesus said, this generation, the people listening to him, and those that they represented, is an evil generation. It demands a sign. In Matthew's version, he actually uses a different words. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. That was at the core of why they were persisting in unbelief. It was the wickedness that was deep down in their hearts. Now, as a, as a person who, who speaks three languages, I like looking into the original meaning of words in the Bible. So I went up and looked up this word wicked or evil or bad. And it comes from the word, Greek word, poneros, which comes from a root word that means to engage in any kind of hard work or toil. In essence, what Jesus is saying, these people are nothing but workers and doers of iniquity. That's all they do. That's all their interests. Their hearts are too steeped in darkness and sin that all they do is do iniquity. Culturally, morally, everything they are doing, it's all about their wickedness. And I look sometimes at our culture and I see a lot of that. It's not hard to miss the iniquities in our own generation, in our own culture. 
You know, we can't just point our fingers at them. How about ourselves, right? You know, sometimes we demand for God to prove himself before we believe in his promises. You know, we kind of put God on that side of, you know, the burden of proof is on you, God. But think about it. You know, today more than any other generation, we have been blessed to have the entire Bible in one collection. And we have it in different formats, right? And we have it in different languages. If you don't understand the English, you can go to Kiswahili and see what, what does Swahili say. I mean, we are blessed. It's in our fingertips. We have it. But then if you look sometimes at our faith, it is so emaciated because we are not reading the word. And you wonder, why is it that our faith is shallow? For the Bible says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We hear it, we believe it. That's how we build our faith. And in Romans 1.18, there's a passage I like going to, and it explains how God will exercise his judgment over sin. He says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And that's the word right there. The people listening to Jesus, they knew and heard the truth, but they chose to suppress that truth by their wicked actions. And that's kind of how we sin, right? Well, we know that we're not supposed to do certain things. We know because the conscience and the spirit of God speaks to us, but yet we persist in doing them. So that's part one of Jesus' response to them. You want a sign? Well, here's a reason why you keep demanding for a sign. Sin lives and dwells in your heart. But then there's a second part of it. Where Jesus says, well, no sign shall be given to this generation. No. Sorry, guys. No sign for you. If you remember Jerry Seinfeld, there's a session where he says, no soup for you. The soup Nazi. Jesus says, no sign for you. That's Mark's gospel. That's why I like interacting with all three gospels. Because, you know, Mark is like straight to the point. This is no sign for you. That's how he got it. But Matthew, Matthew, who was writing to Jewish audience, this is how he gave the full response. But no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You've probably heard of the story of the little girl who was talking to her teacher about whales. At one point in the discussion, the teacher remarked that it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow an entire human being because 
even though the whale was a very large mammal, its throat was very small. But the whale swallowed Jonah, the little girl insisted. Irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. Well, the little girl said, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. The teacher asked, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl replied, then you ask him. <laughs> you see, Jesus gave this story because it was real and it actually happened. He said the only side of these people would receive is the sign of Jonah. But how can this be? I mean, Jonah lived hundreds of years before the time of Christ. What has this got to do with Jonah? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in the mind of everyone present in that meeting, every Jew knew and understood about Jonah. Just like in every household here, maybe every household that has a Bible, that reads the Bible, we teach our children about Jonah. But what do we remember Jonah most for? Is it his preaching? Uh, not really. We mostly remember Jonah for the fact that he was swallowed by a big fish. And that he was in there for three days and three nights. And guess what? That's exactly what the people were recalling in their minds. So when Jesus used this example, he did not go into every imaginable detail about the story. He only mentioned and highlighted what most people remember. The death. Not the death, actually the um, you know, Jonah was not, did not die, but, but he's, he's probably passed out inside the belly of the whale. But it's the miracle of God rescuing him and being spit out at the beach by the whale. And Jesus makes that connection. And he says, the same way that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Son of man, what are you talking about, Jesus? Well, the Jewish people understood because they read the book of Daniel. If you look at the, uh, the, the, the uh, prophecy of Daniel, it talks about the son of man. The son of man is a reference of the Messiah. Now, we know that Jesus is referring to himself. Now, if you're a good class, I'm just going to ask you then, then what is Jesus referring to? What's the connection he is making? Three days, three nights? For Jonah, three days, three nights for him. He's talking about his, his resurrection. That's it. Jesus says, the only sign you get is the sign of my resurrection. There is no other sign. And yes, indeed, there has never been any greater, grander, more supreme sign and miracle than the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sign for every and any generation. Period. Yes, Jesus raised some people back to life, but they ended up dying. But what about Jesus? Jesus physically arose, came back to life. People saw him, touched him, spoke with him, ate with him, and they saw him ascend to heaven. And even as we speak right here, he is alive. Praise his name. That is our hope. That is our hope. That is the only sign we get. 
I mean, if we cannot believe the sign and the message of the resurrection, then we are of all people to be most pitied. So says Paul. That's it. And that's what he told them. That's the only thing you get. The people of Nineveh never saw Jonah. But yet they believed in the message. I mean, none of us were there to witness and see Jesus come back to life. But we believe it. We believe it. That's the basis of our faith. That's why we come to Jesus and believe it. The people of Nineveh, when they heard the experience, what happened to Jonah, and Jonah preached to them, I'm telling you, the people of Nineveh repented en masse. The whole city. And Jesus says, Woe unto you who are here, hearing and listening to me. Yet you do not believe. In the final judgment, God will call upon the Ninevites and their faith will be used against you for damnation and condemnation. What a sad day it's going to be. What a sad day. This generation had everything they needed to believe. I feel like it's going to be a sad day for many in our time with everything we have received from God, especially his word in complete diversion, and yet we ignored it. There's going to be a lot of people weeping and gnashing their teeth at the end times. And I see that was not enough. God called up another example, this time a woman, a non-Jew, a non-Hebrew. You would even say she was a came from a pagan culture, the queen of the south. This is also known as the queen of Sheba. We read of her in the book of 1 Kings. Now this queen, thousands of kilometers away, in her home country, she heard about Solomon and the wisdom that God had given him. And by faith she said, oh my goodness, I want that. And she spared no expense. And she went land over sea to Jerusalem to see this mighty king. If my wife and I were to drive there, because we like driving, it would probably take us about 70, 720 hours. It's about 3,000 kilometers. We love driving. My wife and I drove to Phoenix here, like straight up. We don't, you know, we don't even take breaks. We're just like... So I can only imagine these days there was no vehicles. The roads were bad. But she spared no expense, and she went three over 3,000 kilometers to have an audience with this man of God. And Jesus says, warn to you, shame on you, this generation. The Son of Man has come from a distant land, from heaven here to earth, but yet you refuse to listen. Warn to you, because in the day of judgment, God will call upon the queen. And her faith will be used against your unbelief. And you will be damned. And he says, don't you see something greater than Jonah is here? Some Bibles use the words someone greater than Jonah. Some use the word something greater than Jonah. It was not just Jesus himself. It's everything that he represented, the kingdom of God. At some point he told them, if you see me cast out demons by the finger of God, they just know this. The kingdom of God is here. 
So with Christ came greater things, the kingdom of God, grace, love, peace, compassion, and mercy. And yes, even here, Jesus is compassionate over them. So Jesus kind of concludes this message and, and looks at them. He says this, here's, what, here's then what I want to tell you. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part darkness, the whole body will be full of light as when a lamp shines its light to you. Here's a parable. This is a parable. Jesus is giving a parable. And, and the people are trying to make the connection. So what are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is trying to make a, he's going to make a connection here. You know, he says just like anybody lights up a candle or a lamp in a dark room so that people can see its light and go about their business. In the same way, think of your eye. Think of your eye as a lamp that lights up your whole body. When your eye is good, when your eyes are good, well, you'll be able to see what's around you. And you can go about your life with ease, but when your eye is bad, then your vision is restricted or limited. You won't be able to see or move around with ease. Now, why does Jesus say this? Well, he's going to make the connection to the heart. This parable is about the heart. Everyone has one. And it is either a good heart or a bad heart. If your heart is good, or whole, or complete, or single-minded, then when it hears the truth, it will re respond to the light of the gospel. But if your heart is bad, now with the same word he used before, poneros, the same word he used to say, this generation is wicked, now he says, if your eye, or if your heart is poneros, wicked, or bad, then you will reject or repel the light. So he issues a warning. He says, therefore, watch out. Take care. And again, I like looking into words, and I wonder, what does this watch out mean? Well, it, means it's, it comes from a Greek word that means scopos, from which we get the word scope. What kind of scope you put on a rifle. Right? And Jesus says, do a zoom scope of your own heart to find out what it is like and what is in there. So basically, do an introspection. Do a self-examination. And this morning, I'm just going to ask, when you do a zoom scope deep down where no one else can see but God, what do you find there? Do you find a good heart that does good things, that loves the light, receives the light, embraces the light? Or do you get scared by what you see there, that a heart that is dark, a heart that harbors sin, 
a heart that is always predisposed towards that which is bad. What do you see? But here's the good news today. And this is what I love about our Lord. It's, it's a good news kind of ending. Because he says if you find, if we find that our hearts are harboring sin and causing us to drift away into unbelief, Jesus can fix it. After all, it is he who made it. You know, we have a chance here to have his light come into our hearts and completely change and transform us. This message is about Jesus and his ability to expel the darkness that is in each and every heart. The only hope for the people listening to Jesus, they could not help themselves. We are helpless. As a matter of fact, unless God helps us, we cannot come to faith in him. So God helps us, but are you willing? If all of you are willing, if God sees a heart that is willing and just open towards the light, God will not reject that heart. He will embrace it. He will receive it. As a matter of fact, he will do whatever it takes for that heart to hear the gospel. God will never castigate such a heart. But it is that caution Jesus says, be careful then that we are not developing a heart of unbelief where the Bible ceases to have its authority in our lives. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Praise his name. That's great news. That's great news. We are helpless. It's all of the powerful light of the gospel that can expel the darkness from our hearts if we embrace it. You know, I feel compelled this morning just to say out there, if there's anybody, if there's anybody here who, who would, who would want to give Jesus a chance and an opportunity to shine his light of truth in your heart, I'd like to close with kind of a prayer. It's kind of prayer that we help people when we are leading them to faith. It's a prayer of surrender. And this is kind of how I would want to pray. If you can close your eyes with me for just a moment. And after that introspection, after looking deep down in your own heart, and you can see and find out whether, whether you are drifting away from God. Maybe your passion for God is eroding away. More than likely, there is sin that needs to be dealt with. Sin is the harbinger. It's what keeps us from progressing towards God. Our hearts reject the truth by nature. We hate the truth. We hate the light. But this morning, it is a, this is the, the gospel. This is the good news that through the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, his love for us, his grace and mercy, we can receive that light and forgiveness. And so I pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. 
I confess that I am and have been a doer of evil. I confess that my heart has been hardened and calloused toward the truth. I ask you this morning to come into my heart and into my life and expel the darkness with the light of your word. I believe that my life will never be the same again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now if you find that that is your prayer this morning, I would like to encourage you with the rest of us who already are in faith and fellowship with Christ. Here's a couple of things we can determine to do this year. 2023, a lot of people, may, the, the year is still young, thank God. I don't think anybody here has, uh, uh, has failed in their, in their New Year resolution, unless you did make one. But here is a good way that we can all come together and determine to be women, men, and children of faith by, here's several suggestions that I picked up on um, uh, an, an author by the name of Dustin Benji. We can determine to hear the word of God. We can determine to read the word of God. We can determine to study the word of God. Like we just go one step further and we just actually study the word of God. Do you understand how we are blessed today with the gift of technology? Like, like before we used to go to Bible schools, that's the only place you could get instruction. Now you can do it online. You can do an in-depth study of the Bible. There are so many wonderful tools. But we can also memorize the word of God. When we hide the word of God in our hearts, then it's, it's hard for us to actually sin because God's word is actually dwelling in us richly. How about meditating on the word? It's kind of turning off our devices for a moment in quietness and silence and let that word just work through us. It's amazing what we get when we meditate on the word. But the greatest of all where there is a blessing is that obedience. That's something we can determine to do. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's something we can do. It's easy. But you'd be surprised to know that it needs encouragement for one another. We need each other to do this. We need each other. We need that encouragement. Now, there's a verse that I hadn't planned on reading, but I'm going to read this verse from, uh, I think it's Hebrews. Read this one verse right here. We must therefore pay more, even more attention. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. You know, the, there is power of, 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 of coming together and reading and studying and memorizing the word of God. And I hope we can do that this year with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors.